Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Jerry Springer. mystery in that one. I'm, a, I'm excited. It's been several weeks since Trump got elected and we're still, we're still able here. to do this. We haven't been arrested yet. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of... Hey, have we gotten any uh, more calls? Because I was excited the last couple of weeks. We're oh, getting your, these calls from... Your girlfriend from Melania. Melania Trump <laughs> calls our show? It's calls insane. Calls late at night onto the answering machine at the podcast office. And I, the answer is, I don't know. I'm going to look so, over so to David Cruz, Ambient Studios, our technical producer. Has she? Yeah, we did get another phone call. Oh, my God. So her and Let's Trump are just hiding. I don't know if it's legal to hear it. I think one time she said, you may not use these on the air. But we don't care, do we? So you immediately threw no. on air. What could possibly, <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? What okay. could possibly go wrong? Jerry Springer. All right, let's hear it. Hello, Jerry. This is Melania again. I have been reading many books about American presidents. And I see that President FDR Roosevelt never told the people about his polio. My Donald also has a physical condition that we keep secret. We do not talk about it. And, of course, you must never put this on your podcast Okay, show. hold on, David. Hold on. Whoa. Specifically said, must never Specifically put this on the put, podcast. Did you hear what? I heard it right. She oh, said yeah. he has, like Roosevelt, President FDR Roosevelt. President FDR Roosevelt, yes. That, he, that Donald Trump has some physical ailment. Other than mental, do not put it on the podcast. So let's hear what it is. Well, should we? <laughs> I don't know if we should play it. Is 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 infantitis a? Um... <laughs> I was gonna say, is this mental? Is this something that you can? <laughs> I know, but well, okay. In fairness, I mean, uh, you can play it, but we're gonna ask people not to listen. All right. <laughs> do not hear. Unhear this. Unhear everything. Unhear you're about ready. To okay, hear. let's hear the rest of that. But my Donald does not hear well. The other day, he comes into my room in the penthouse, all excited, and he says, Melania, dear, I just bought the best hearing aid that money can buy. <laughs> to be polite, of course, I say, oh, really, what kind is it? And he says to me, four o'clock. <laughs> Jerry, what are we to do? <laughs> By the way, if I could get a couple of tickets for your television show, my friends and I want to wear our wigs and sit down in front row with college kids. <laughs> Talk to you soon, Jerry. Ciao, baby. Oh, oh, you got a child, baby. I did. So she tells the joke and you all laugh. <laughs> so she has been listening. I'm going to start telling the joke with an accent. But it's interesting because she apparently bumps into the same old man that I do. Really? <laughs> you said the same thing to me. I was walking in here. I hate you. No, the janitor, <laughs> the janitor jumped out of the closet you. and said, Supplies! No, that's not even how that joke goes. <laughs> it's not even the joke. The janitor jumps out of a closet and yells, "Supplies!" No, well, first of all, you're doing you're doing kind of a racist joke. Exactly. Second, first and foremost. Yeah, first right? and foremost. <laughs> right. Secondly, What's, it's usually about like an island and all these different people, and this one brings that, and then when this, yeah, and then somebody jumps out and says supplies. No, <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, you didn't even do the joke right. <laughs> no, Richard told me the joke. He says, "How old is what? Richard?" Eight. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but he says, "What does the janitor?" 
say when he jumps out of the closet? Supplies! <laughs> yeah. Okay. Moving right along. <laughs> What's we racist about that? No, that's not. That's it's not like racist. Supplies in no. there. Well, I'll tell you, at dinner, at dinner, we'll talk. We'll tell you. We're going to tell you what what's wrong missed? with that joke on so many levels. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, he says. Okay, by the way, Megan. Hey, Gene. Uh, I know we usually, I'll call you up and say, how far are you into the book? Right. <laughs> because Jerry assigned, and I put this up so the Facebook Live audience We have a book this. club. But this is the Jerry Springer, the book that Jerry wrote. What year did you write this? 1998, it was the year of the Pulitzer. Okay, the year of the Pulitzer. That's the year I graduated high school. Uh, called Ringmaster. I got mine on Amazon. And by the way, somebody did ask a question, uh, how do we watch this podcast regularly on Facebook Live? Yep. Let's hit that real fast. If you're listening on the stream or you're listening to an archive episode, you simply go to the Jerry Springer Podcast Facebook page. Real easy to find, right, yep. Megan? Yep. And you like it. It'll come to your news feed. And then you can watch us live. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So anyway, and then you would see You don't want to miss this. (laughs) Uh, I was reading this, Megan, and I'm most of the way through. All by yourself? Or was Bonnie helping? I was very proud. Oh, oh, that's like a college book. I'm marking it up. And I found on page 105 my name. Shut up. Yeah, there it is. Spelled correctly, Gene with a J. Let me see this. Spelled J-E-L. What did I say about you? Uh, You referenced me as teaching you something. A guy that I met this one time. About something. (laughs) Yeah, there you are, my friend, but my close friend, Gene Galvin. Huh. Huh. No kidding. Look yeah. at you. you, that, you no. made it into the group. You weren't yet closest. No, no, that's correct. <laughs> you just moved into close. Close, yeah. When you write the next I'm book, like, I'm nobody. Be in it. Hey, here's yeah. a question, though, from your book, and it's on another page, and I'm prepared to read it, but I wanted to ask you. Well, one thing is, where did the chant, Jerry, Jerry, where'd that come from? Because this book is a lot of it, half yeah. of it is about your, show, your TV show. Where did the chant come from? I, I, I will tell you in a second, but Mickey now says people should start chanting my address so I know how to get home. <laughs> She's good. It's very That's true. Good. Yeah. Exactly. She says at this age, they remind you who you are, but now, because I just wander this. I, I do like, I like Mickey. <laughs> actually, actually uh, the, the Jerry Jerry thing came about because when we started the show, the first there were 20 talk shows on the air at the time, and everyone was trying to be like Oprah. And uh, Ricky Lake came along about two or three years in, and she, hers was really the first daytime talk show that went after the kids. And when I say kids, I mean high school, college age. And I just thought as a business model, which really is the only decision I ever made about my crazy TV show, I just thought as a business model, why are we trying to be one out of 20 shows going after Oprah, appealing to the demographic, which at that time was referred to as middle-aged housewives? Why not go after Ricky's audience, go after the kids? And then we're only competing with one show rather than 19 others. And uh, so the very next day, walked into the, you know, the executives of the company and said, I want to do the show, but only, you know, let's do it to kids. So from then on, the next day, only young people in the audience, young people on stage, young subject matter. And uh, that's when the show started going crazy, just because young people are wild and much more open about their lifestyles. But the Jerry Jerry thing came because Ricky had, go Ricky, 
Go, Ricky. They had some kind of chant. Oh, that's right. They did like the little dance and everything. Yeah, that that's was, right. She was the first to do it, in fairness. So we just came up with Jerry Jerry. But also, because you had 20 talk shows on, and outside of Cincinnati, I was a total unknown entity. I was just this other white guy doing a white male doing a talk show. And so no one knew who I was. Well, the best way to start promoting the show is at the bottom of the screen, we had Jerry Springer that's on for the whole show, just the, you know, the name. And then people constantly chanting that after a while, every, you know, you would talk about a talk show and you'd mention Jerry, Jerry, even if you hadn't watched the show a lot, that was the one that came to mind. So it's basically promotion, advertising. That's how it all came. And then it caught on and now it's every place, including men's rooms at ball games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which is horrible. Any, anytime anybody finds out that I do this show, not that I don't advertise it, but when people yeah. do find out, that's the very first thing. That's the message I get. Jerry, Jerry, we didn't know you knew him. And they do it. They did it at the Ohio State game. Yeah. You know, I, I, <gasps> you got to go to that. Yeah, it was unbelievable. And I'm a Michigan fan, so I wasn't real happy with it. Well, but, sorry. Yeah. yeah. 110,045 people. <sighs> The largest crowd ever at a college football game. It's a good game. It was unbelievable. It yeah. was great game. Double overtime. Yep. Yeah, good hey, game. By the way, and for audience members that are following along in Ringmaster, go to please go to page one twenty five. There is. This was written by Lisa Farina. Is she still your audience coordinator? Or no, she was. A, she was a audience. The audience coordinator when we were doing the show in Chicago. All right, and so this is just one short paragraph. This is what the requirements are to be an audience member at the Jerry Springer TV show. This I, was back then, so I don't know that it's the same. I Well, let's I apply know. it to this yeah. audience sitting at our podcast, because I noticed that <laughs> we didn't... And this is for audience members, not guests. Yeah, yeah. I noticed okay. that Catfish... Remember I the... said only young people in the audience? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming, everybody. If you'll just file out... <laughs> It's so cruel. It really is. That's cruel. I You're apologize. older than anyone else in this room. I'm older than anyone here. Allow <laughs> me to read this. <laughs> You're going to see that come up. Okay, the rules are you got to be 18 years of age or older. Yeah, that's the no, rule. Megan, look at the audience as I read these. No shorts, baseball hats, or white clothing. Uh, if you're going to get, clothing? if you're going to request more than one ticket, we ask it. that you come equal number of men and women so they have kind of a balance. Uh, on a, here's the one. The only other rule that I have is when you are, when seating in the audience, no older people in the front row. Define older. It says here, Megan, <laughs> you sometimes have to be able to move pretty quickly up there. We're Dodge talking about the chairs. Dodging chairs, wigs, teeth, you know. Earrings. Because uh, they don't want anybody to get hurt. Well, there are so. two first rows, and I'll, I'll tell you the inside. Yeah, it. Get, get it to us. The people that are really in the first row, like right up against the stage, yeah. that's true. Because, you know, fights break out, food is thrown, water is thrown. <laughs> it is great. You're going to get, you know. <laughs> this so is real life. You know. This is our boss. I yeah. know. <laughs> so you got to be able to move. Because <laughs> yeah. otherwise, or you're told ahead of time. And everyone's told ahead of time. Look, if you're sitting up there, you're going to get your clothes. Some stuff on you. Yeah, stuff on you. That's a possibility. The really, in terms of the television audience, the real first row is the aisle that I walk back and forth in which is like, it's the end of the chairs that are on the floor, and then before you go up the stands. 
that and that first row, to be honest with you, it's television. Yeah. And the producers always, we wanted to look young. So the truth is, we put in that first row. There'll always, you know, there'll always be the college kids, the young, yep. you know, good-looking kids right up there. And they do that truthfully as background candy, whatever, yep. you know. And so they put young people in that audience. You do have, because we've talked about this before, you have audience members that are largely from college campuses. They have a bus that goes up and they picks people there, up yeah. and they bring them. And because you've if had, you're in college, yeah, if you're in college, the show is what it is. It's stupid. I say that all the time. But if you're in college, I don't care how sophisticated you think you are. When you're in college and you got a chance to come to this show, oh, what yeah. college kids aren't going to come? I mean, Including really. from Ivy League schools. Like you oh, had Yale, well, Harvard, Because we're up in Princeton. Connecticut. So yeah. we, yeah, and we get in that whole area of New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Rhode Island. We get all the Ivy League schools. Well, would these parents hate you after they've spent the amount of money they've spent? <laughs> To go to Harvard. Or I don't Yale. think they waited for them to come to the <laughs> yeah, show to hate me. Yeah, I, no, that's true. <laughs> I think that hate So when are we going to see this? We yeah. need this to take what? a field trip. I want to see this. I still have never watched your show. I'd like to see it live. And then we can stop talking about it. But I will say, and this is true, you may never ever want to watch the show, and I get it. I wouldn't watch it. <laughs> I mean, it's not aimed at 72 year old men. Um, in college, I would have watched it. But even if you would never watch it, to see it in person once in your life is an amazing experience that cannot be duplicated going to any other show in the history I believe, of television. I do believe And it. I have it never There's seen like it. it. I've never seen it yeah. live. I've seen it on television. Yeah. When you live. are there, it is because it's not really a talk show. There's no talking. Really? On. It's not really theater. It's not a sporting event. It's, not, it's, it's a combination. There's nothing like it. And people in the audience go crazy. We should go, Megan. We need to go. And, and we should be see. sitting in the front row, too. Oh, yeah. Youngish. Yeah. Youngish you know, people no, in the front I'm row. Sorry, Gene. No. No, I'm way too old for that. Be in the back. No, you were, now that I told you, you'll oh, no, be so be insulted they would put me when they so put you in the back, back yeah. behind the camera. So the camera never turns I got to tell around. you. <laughs> the idea, just talking about going to New York or in the vicinity of New York scares me because I, you guys know I don't travel much. I haven't traveled much. <laughs> but, but I'm going to tell you something. The Galvin family, my two brothers, Jerry and Jim, you, you know Jerry. I do. Megan, Jer you know yeah. both Jerry and Jim. And we like to think of ourselves as one of the smartest families in America. We just, that's how we, <laughs> how we view ourselves. But my gates. brother, Jerry and Jim, yeah. have not traveled much. And this is, sounds sort of shocking. About four years ago, for the first time, they went to New York City. They'd never been to New York. My father sat them down before they went. And my father looked at Jerry and Jim side by side. And he said, Jerry... When you get to New York, those cab drivers are going to steal you blind. Steal you blind. Jim, do you understand what I'm saying to you two? They will steal you blind. My advice to you is whatever price they say the cab fare is, do not give them that. Give them less than that. Jack it back, maybe 20% or so. My brothers, Jerry and Jim, went to New York first time, got off the plane, got in a cab, got to Manhattan. Cab driver says... That'll be $50. My brother Jerry looked at that cab driver, and this is where the Galvin smarts come in. And he says, 
<laughs> he said, Megan, I will never give you $50. <laughs> I'm giving you 35. <laughs> and then my brother Jim spoke up. And he said, me too. I'm only giving you 35. <laughs> Oh, oh my God, Chinka! Oh. <laughs> Megan is a hand pulled away. My crying. two brothers just said, "You know, nobody. Al, Al Fox is a Galvin. You know, yeah. it's not gonna happen." <laughs> Me too. Anyway, um, it was very good, Dana. I like that one. <laughs> uh, Jerry, I wanted to ask you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, seriously. Yeah. You remember, speaking of our age, we're joking around about our age, back in the 60s, and we both did this, you were a folk singer, I was a folk singer, and some, you know, Ricky Rack groups trying to make something, and, and, but we, in that era, sang the issues of the day, and that's where Bob Dylan came from, I mean, he was writing poetry as much as he was singing songs, but folk singers in the 60s, were they not, they were troubadours and they mm-hmm. were speaking out on stuff they were moving messages that's Me- true isn't it huge yeah. messages music in the 60s became um highly political those were the big big stars really and they became political because politics became our life in the 60s because of vietnam yep and, and the, the civil, civil rights, rights issue and the civil rights movement and cities burning and everything so it was really politics wasn't just something, well, I'm, I'm going to major in political science or I'm kind of interested in that. It isn't like today where, you know, we say, oh, these are the worst of times, et cetera. Most people, frankly, aren't that interested in politics. And, but back then, it wasn't a choice. We were all going to Vietnam. Well, if you so, take that issue off the table, don't, because that, that won't, well, I hope it doesn't repeat itself. Yeah. But don't you think there is maybe a call that can be made and maybe you are among mm. the people who should do it to uh, folk singers of today, of which there are many. And yeah. we're going to hear tonight from uh, a singer, uh, Darren, uh, Brad, Bradbury, sorry, uh, from Nashville, yeah. who is highly acclaimed up and coming folk singer. Rolling Stone just did a piece about him as somebody to keep an eye on as up and coming folky. And maybe with these times and with Donald Trump, and we don't know where things are going to go, good or bad, but there could be a kind of a clarion call from our generation, your generation, to this younger generation. Uh, the Standing Rock issue uh, oh, happened, and we hope I, that's over, but we don't know for sure. And Clearly, this is a perfect time for folk music to really come to the fore because so many of the issues we are talking about are cultural issues today. And, you know, with the multiculturalization of America and all of that, I mean, this is fertile ground for anyone who's a folk writer. This is the time to do it because their causes, I mean, every week you can find a demonstration someplace about, you know, people expressing their concern, their pain. Um, you know, one of the things that amazes me with all these things that happen is how, if it isn't your group, and it kind of annoys me, and this isn't part of my rant or anything, but it's like we have so little concern, I'm generalizing, with another group's cause. 
You know, so for example, you know, the Native Americans, the Sioux Nation, you know, most people just getting through to a big deal. Well, it's the Sioux Nation, you know, we got to get the oil down here unless the company had it. We're not, you know, we talk about America's original sin. By the way, the original sin of America was not slavery. Slavery was perhaps its biggest, longest lasting sin, but the original sin was taking the land from Native Americans and saying, oh, America's been discovered. What were they doing for a thousand years here? And, um, and we just don't, don't, you know, so few people seem to care if it's someone else's, and you talk with what you think are very, which are our neighbors, very nice people, rational people, and if you talk about, you know, what's this Black Lives Matter? Oh, what are they complaining about? If it's somebody else, it's like no big deal. Nobody protests unless they're really hurt. You never say to a child that's crying, or you shouldn't say to a child that's crying, what are you crying about? Get over it, you know? No, the child is hurting. So you, you try and deal with that issue. You sit down with the child and say, put it in words. What, what is it that, that hurts you? And, you know, we don't do that in our political sphere. It's like every, we belittle every other cause that isn't ours. And that, to me, is, is, is not the kind of people we ought to be. And so if there's a cause you know very little about, you, and I've said this on several occasions, you educated me on the whole issue of using the Redskins as a name. I never thought about it. And then I said, damn, because I remember as a kid playing Cowboys and Indians. Right. And it never dawned on me that I was belittling Tonto. You know, I mean, it was kind of thing. So we have to I say, wait a second, gosh, if that was me, they were, you know, you know, if you had a football team named, you know, the Cincinnati Jews, let's get out there and play, <laughs> you know. It might be frowned upon. Well, you, you'd only, you couldn't field 11, there would only be five. Uh, <laughs> if it was a Jewish you know football what? team, you couldn't even get a minion. <laughs> you know, uh, and I got sensitive to that issue because I was a VISTA volunteer for a winter back in 1966. And by the way, and, and I learned just by talking to Native Americans on this Ojibwe reservation. Speaking of that, the Standing Rock thing, and I want to kind of connect these two, because you just gave me an idea. What if we asked the folk singers that know about us and listen to this show, and we've had about 80 of them on, Wait, and we have so another sorry. one coming on tonight. Good for you. What if we uh, put on our website, uh, well, let's make this call. I'm going to yes. ask singers write a song, write a uh, original song about the issue at Standing Rock. And let's encapsulate it real fast. And we'll so, have them come in and perform it here. Well, for sure, we'll put them on the website. Yeah. yeah. We'll put exactly. them on the website. They send it in. We'll create a little, you know, That's sidebar thing idea. on the right yeah. side. Good. So that is a call to singers and songwriters. Write a song about that issue and where it stands today. Let's just encapsulate it. Where it stands today. I'm going to do this real fast, but there's this pipeline that goes from Canada down to about the Mississippi River. And they're running this through America, and by God, they tried to run it right by Bismarck, North Dakota, and the people in Bismarck threw a fit, and they said, fine, and they moved it. Where did they move it? On to the very close to the reservation land of Standing Rock. This is a place called Cannonball, North Dakota. 
So thousands of people have gone to this, uh, these three campsites that are near this. And as of when you hear this, you know, about December 4th or so, the Army Corps of Engineers has agreed. has agreed that they're going to not allow it to go there. But when but Trump takes over, he could Here's the deal. Back. It is possible for this company, and they are intimating that they're going to do this, that they will build it without permits and take their chances in a court and pay fines. So this thing is not necessarily completely over. Or Trump can come in and direct the Army Corps of Engineers to give them the permit. It's over for the moment, and the chief of the Standing Rock Sioux is saying to people, go home. I've lived up in that area. Trust me, it is brutal at this time of the year. So they're buying some time. So there is a basis for a song, and maybe some people will write them, send them in, and at least we'll pick somebody who writes the best one, and we'll bring you in here and, yeah. and sing it on our air. So that's one of the ways we could sort of draw Great people idea. in. Uh, You're not getting one more penny from with this show, but I understand. Working. But a compliment yeah. is easy. Yeah, compliment uh, pay is great raise. idea, Gene. Great idea, yeah. yeah. Hey, hey, Merry Christmas. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Let's go one better. Change my title from producer to executive producer. How about that? Well, Don't go, do it, Jerry. No, that was my Christmas gift. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> We had a, a business card made for you. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Uh, you can put that on your desk. Well, you don't have a you desk. Don't have a desk. No, I don't have a desk. Uh, Megan, very quickly. Gene. You still in a relationship? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I'm still, I'm still talking to someone, yes. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> Does he complain that we always talk about him on the air? Well, we've never no. named him. No, we've not named him. Oh, we we love that guy. As long as you love that guy, you don't love that guy, and we don't like What's that guy. great He's is there guy. are five different guys who think it's them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't even tell you that. How'd you know? Yeah. <laughs> including Toby. Yeah. Oh. oh Can no. we say that name? We didn't give any last name. We didn't give any last name. Right, let's any. drop it. Megan, let's drop it right there. It's it could be any Toby. It could be any Toby. Drop it. Not just the one from 10 years <laughs> not ago. Not just the one from 10 years ago. It's true. <laughs> um, Jerry. Yes, Gene. Uh, Donald Thanks Trump. Thanks for checking, Gene. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a turd. <laughs> Donald Trump scares the crap out of me. Yeah. And Good. the reason he does is that I am observing him uh, package up where he may be headed into a, a truly populist uh, pitch and set of policies and behaviors that might appeal to the same people that we as lifelong Democrats all our life have been hanging out with and being supported by in our political activities. So uh, do you think we should be worried? Do you think there are some things we could do if, in fact, he keeps moving forward with this, I am the champion of working class and middle class people? Because that's what he's saying. Well, I want him to succeed with that. I mean, good Lord, if he actually winds up doing that, then... That's a plus. The only reason we're in politics is we want to have good results uh, for the causes and the people you know we care about who need the help. So if he can do it, I don't care where it comes from. So God bless him. The, the, the problem is the stuff that he's doing so far is absolutely against overall the interests of working class people. So the, here's what I'm seeing in... in when you're reading the newspaper articles now, there are two thoughts 
that come across. One, the pundits are talking about, you know, the Trump mandate. Trump's the guy now. And I want to say, time out. Trump will be our president because those are the rules. But he was not the choice of the American people, at least most of the American people. Uh, Hillary beat him by at least two and a half million votes, and it's still growing. 2.7 today. 2.7 today. It may end up being three million votes, which would make the polls exactly right, by the way. So for all the heat that the pollsters got when they said Hillary will win by 3%, she's going to wind up winning by 3%. So apologies to the pollsters that we beat up on. Individual state polls may have been incorrect, but the overall polls were, were correct. And in fact... So he's the president because those are the rules, and I get that. And he will have the power of the presidency, but he does not represent the American people. His values don't represent most people. And uh, so we have to remember that. Let's not all of a sudden say, oh, the country has changed. What's said is that there's so many people that went along with some of the worst parts of his program, his platform, his personality, whatever, but he's not where most of us are. And I don't buy the argument, well, yeah, Hillary got more votes, but it was just on the coasts. Well, hey, here's a bulletin. Most Americans live on the coasts. You know, what? what's the difference where they live? Most Americans happen to live in states like California and New York or whatever. It's on the coasts. So, why wouldn't they have more of a voice in total than a few people that live in Montana? No disrespect to Montana, but if most people live elsewhere, why should the people, the few people, be able to say what everyone has to do? So, America voted for Hillary. Let's remember that. Trump is president, but America voted for Hillary. And now what you hear, all this wringing of our hands, and oh my gosh, and I get all these, you're probably getting it too on your phone, these texts these from various members of the Democratic Party, state and national. Uh, what are we going to do? How are we going to get back, et cetera? And the answer to the question, what should Democrats do now? I don't think that's the first question. The question isn't what do Democrats have to do to win? The first question ought to be, who are Democrats? What do we stand for? Let's be clear about that. You know, I don't want to just win because I'm rooting for a Democrat like I would root for the Yankees for a team. I like their uniforms. I like where they're from. You, you become a Democrat because you believe in those values. And that's what we believe in first. And it is absolutely clear historically to the present day that if the Democratic Party stands for anything, it is basically working-class people. The Democratic Party has always, you know, the Democratic Party has been supporting unions, uh, work with decent workplace conditions, uh, minimum wage, uh, public schools, health care for everybody, all the things that have to do with lower- and middle-income working-class people that has always been the policy and the backbone of the Democratic Party. That's why you become a Democrat. Why do you think minorities always seem to back the Democrats? It's because minorities and immigrants, when they first come to America, don't have a lot of money. They aren't powerful, so they first join the Democratic Party. 
Lower income people live in cities historically because they come, they settle in America. Most of them live in cities and the cities are all Democrat. So that's our party. Don't because of one election, because Trump was an amazing candidate. Don't for one election say, oh, my God, what do we stand for? Time out. Our core is working class people. And when you say on day one, you're going to do away with Obamacare, I don't care how many things are wrong with it, but how are you for working class people if you're against the only piece of legislation ever to say that everyone should have health insurance? So on the one hand, Trump can say, and his followers can say, well, we're going to do away with Obamacare. We're for uh, working class people. Uh, but there are some things in Obamacare we like. We, we think it is important that you, everyone ought to be able to have health insurance even if they have a pre-existing condition, right? You've heard that. Everyone is saying that. Well, here's another headline. You can't have health insurance and guarantee that people will have it with pre-existing conditions if you don't enforce everyone having health insurance. You can't have the two together, one without the other. Because if you don't have to have health insurance, and yet there's a law which says you can't be denied with a pre-existing condition, then you know what everybody's going to do with half a brain? Everyone will say, well, I'm not going to pay my premiums. I'm not going to have health insurance. I'll wait till I'm sick. Then I'll go get health insurance, and I can't be denied because of the law. Well, how are you going to pay health insurance if the only people in it are people who are sick? So all the money goes out, no money is coming in. That's the most basic, even if you don't know anything else about insurance. If you believe Americans ought to be able to have health insurance, even if they have a pre-existing condition, then you have to believe that everyone has to have insurance. There is no other conceivable way of doing it. Then the debate is only, shall it be private, as it is now? Or what I would prefer is that you just make Medicare available for everybody from the day they're born. Medicare works for people over 65. Why change one sentence? And you have no new bureaucracy. Instead of saying starting at the age of 65, you say starting at five minutes of age. <laughs> okay? Then everyone has health insurance. It's the easiest way to do it. Will it cost some more money? Yes. But what is more important than saving our lives? You'd spend it on defense if we were at war. No one says, well, let's not spend on the war in Iraq. You were willing to spend money on a war in Iraq where, tragically, 3,000 people died. How about spending on health care where every single one of us is eventually going to go because of a disease? So, so therefore, this business about there for the middle class, there for working people, and it is working people because poor people get Medicaid. So you're talking about the working class. The very people, let's say, in Youngstown, Ohio, who voted for Trump because he's a working class guy, and they're supporting a, a party and a philosophy that's willing to do away with health insurance for all Americans. That's crazy. 
And how can you be for working class people and you're not for at least a minimum wage? You're not for adequate funding for public schools. You know, middle class, lower income people can't afford always to go to the private schools. And if you take that money away with a the voucher, then there's no money left in the public schools for the kids that don't get into the private schools. So all these things which really are important for lower, for middle income folks, working class people, money for college education, minimum wage, health insurance. But what Trump, why then did Trump get elected if we know that all of its policies don't help working class people? It's because he's a showman and a little bit of a con man. And he knows how to, I mean, this thing with the carrier air conditioning company in Indiana. Merry Christmas, and I don't say that sarcastically. I mean, for the families, the 500, 800 families that will still have jobs now, that's great news. But as a policy, it reminds me of the NFL. The owners of the NFL teams saying to cities, we're leaving unless you build us a stadium. So Carrier basically said, we're leaving unless you give this amount of money over 10 years, so that's the deal. So now, why wouldn't every company in America say, you know what, we're thinking of going to Mexico. And by the way, the labor's cheaper there, so we're out of here unless you make this deal with us. Well, of course, Trump can't do that. So now he says, okay, I'll play hardball. If your company leaves the country, then when you make your goods and sell them back to America, there'll be a 35% tariff. Who do you think that hurts? But the working class people that now have to pay more for all the items they buy at Walmart or whatever stores they shops they go to. In other words, all these policies of his hurt Working class people, they don't hurt people like me. And so what am I getting out of Trump? I'm getting a huge tax break. Fat city, new airplane, baby. <laughs> God. Hope you guys can find a bus. <laughs> no, I mean, it's like this is so anti-working class people that it's a con job. That's what's really going on. So what do Democrats have to do? Fight for all these causes we have always been for. Don't stop the fight now. Make it bigger. Because you can have the optics of, well, I'm going to have a meeting with the head of carrier and hold a press conference. But you know what? In a year or two or three, all of a sudden the unemployment figures, it's going to show. Go back to Indiana and see how many of those people are still without jobs, or still without decent schools, or still without health care if he takes it away. Can you imagine the 13 million additional people that didn't have health care before, health insurance, now have it? Can you imagine the notice they get when you no longer have health insurance? You think that's for the middle-income people? We got a fight on our hands. We have a cause. It didn't stop on election day. If anything, it should get us excited to get out there. It isn't just about winning elections. It's about winning the kind of legislation that can help these people 
fulfill their lives, take care of their families, and live the American dream. Yeah. Hey, we want to bring up uh, Darren Bradbury, and uh, actually along with Anna Harris, who accompanies him, works with him. Uh, they're from East Nashville, and as I mentioned earlier in the program, they're getting a lot of buzz. Uh, Darren is somebody that, I mean, if you get an article written about you that's in Rolling Stone, that, that's a big deal. Oh, you wear it on the cover? I'm sorry. <laughs> right. Jerry, that's a big I deal. I'll tell you so. what. <laughs> yeah, yeah, take yeah. your microphone away. It's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> There's no one up there. And Darren, <laughs> first of all, thank you very much for first being here guys. with us. Thanks uh, for having me. Thank you. Latest album is Elmwood Park. Yeah. Do I have that yeah. right? And uh, hey, do a song for us, and then we sure. want to chat with you on the other Sure, side. sure. Sounds good. Uh, this song's about a, a guy I met in Kansas, um, one of those working class folks. This is the story of Bob. I never knew his last name. I want to say he was born somewhere outside of Topeka and when he was a kid, for some reason or another, his parents moved away. I heard him say his mother was a school teacher for the life of me. I can't remember which grade. And that his father managed a motel or an Applebee's or some shit like that out on the interstate. I wouldn't say that Bob was short. I wouldn't say that Bob was tall. Wouldn't call Bob quiet He wasn't very loud at all Now he was just Bob Backwards and forwards He was just Bob We all thought Bob was a pretty swell dude. He was our go-to for a consistent and accurate weather update. Anytime a storm was coming through, someone would say we ought to go ask Bob. Bob knows what's up. He had a one-bedroom apartment with carpet. decent part of town. So they had a couple upstairs neighbors who partied too much, but all in all, at the end of the day, they were a pretty decent crowd. Nothing like you folks. I wouldn't say that Bob was short. I wouldn't say that Bob was tall. I wouldn't call Bob quiet. He wasn't very loud at all Now he was just Bob 
backwards and forwards. take the time to gather here today. Casey, thanks for bringing the donuts. Well, it's a shame you know about the carbon monoxide leak, but I bet you good old Bob, dude didn't even notice. So this jelly donut's for you, Bob. time I'm checking the weather, it'll feel like you're kind of awkwardly standing over me. Seriously, Bob, we all miss you here at Staples Corporate. I wouldn't say that Bob was short. I wouldn't say that Bob was tall. I wouldn't call Bob quiet. He wasn't very loud at all. He was just Bob, backwards and forwards. He was just Bob, backwards and forwards. He was just Bob. That's outstanding. That was that really a great sound to restore. Like yeah, that was really neat. That's a real story. That's great. Oh, yeah. thanks, man. Great. I, I appreciate that tremendously. And your music can be heard. Your website is darrenbradbury.com. Yeah, right? or, or on Bandcamp, like the online okay. server thing yep. that all the folk singers use. Yeah. But, oh, you guys have a great sound together, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. This just, is only our second tour with me. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. really. Well, you just, get on our nerves. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, just leave it alone. You're the only one that does that. Other hey, do, a, do a second song, would you? <laughs> do a second song. Okay. Well, we, we played this one earlier. This is called uh, Life is Hard, the Ballad of Jack Kerouac, Lenny Bruce, and Daffy Duck. Oh, my God. Here we go. <laughs> I always think you should have told together. us oh. we have a Trump song. <laughs> oh. Bad. 
are funny no more. Subpoenas, they ain't setups. The stand, it ain't a show. I guess naked on the floor was his last dirty joke. Life is hard. Ah, oh, heck, man, life is hard. It's funny where it stops. It's funny where it starts. The whole thing in the middle. Yeah, it's bound to break your heart. Life is hard. guys are really good. Yeah. Thank you very you much. Came by, yeah. uh, be with us. Uh, quick question. You wrote that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that, you know, all these beatnik references yeah. and these, did you read these people? Are you like an English major or something in college? Well, or? I, the, the thing is, is if, you, if you carry around a guitar, you get mistaken for being a musician. Yeah. yeah. I'm not one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm the, I've been freaking out about Goodnight Irene all day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I, it's two chords, but I can't ah, we'll get carry it. Yeah. Uh, we'll carry you. We'll carry you. Yeah, me too. But the, <laughs> the, Tuesday, man. the thing is, is that, um, uh, when I was a kid, I didn't have any inherent skills or abilities. Um, at a certain point, I wanted to be a, a, a writer, yep. but I had terrible handwriting and even worse grammar. <laughs> but I liked telling stories, so I picked up a guitar and was like, 
you're telling me all I got to do is talk over this thing, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> and that works. Yeah. So, uh, but then I, you know, I just like jokes. I like, I like a lot of comic strips, big Calvin and Hobbes fans. Yeah. So I like just things yeah. that are funny, you know, and try to make them interesting and, yeah. and also, but I'm a big beatnik guy. I was, Lenny Bruce is one of my heroes. You know, yeah. See, I mean, because yeah. we, we know about Jerry and I know about those guys. That was our fifties well, and the sixties, even the fifties, Jack Kerouac yeah. on the road, well, Lenny I, Bruce had his albums back in the yeah. day. Well, I wrote this one after I got really mad at Jack Kerouac when I realized that I've spent more time living out of my car than he did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> after reading his book. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of, you know, looked at the end of his life and I was like, yeah, it's kind of a sad way to go. He died in Florida just like on his mom's couch, like a cirrhosis of the liver. Like, wow. you know, that's just the way he went. Yeah. You're making, you're making me nervous. I live in Florida. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there are many reasons you should be nervous. And we do have a couch, but I, I own the couch. We do have a couch. <laughs> well, it's excellent writing. Thank you very much. Great sound. Both you guys. Thank you for having us here. Great, just a great <laughs> sound. Take <laughs> us out on Irene. Good night. All right. Yeah. Jerry, no pressure, hey, no Jerry pressure. will help you mess it up. Right. Hey, don't screw it up. Yeah. You've been listening to Tales, Tunes, and Tomfoolery, recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song, and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. country and sometimes I live in town sometimes I take a great notion to jump in that river and drown